0: Try to find how in your job you can do that. It doesn't mean you have to change your job, but it means what do I need to tap into to make it rewarding equally to me, equally to the company, and equally to society in general. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy
1: Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here at the Capital Girls City Center with my guest, Jack Hinton. Finally got Jack on the show. Chief HSE officer at Baker Hughes GE. That's it. All hey, right. How are you? Great. A little warm?
0: Yeah, It's hot outside. I'm telling you. It is.
1: And it's not going to let up.
0: No. <laughs> Summer <laughs> is here.
1: Oh, yes. Very much so. So before we get into it, I wanted to ask the audience to uh, support the show by taking a few minutes to uh, leave a review in iTunes. And you can do that, too, Jack, if you want. That'd be great. great. So prior to getting into what you're doing now, let's let's take it back. And uh, where would you start in the industry, Jack?
0: It was interesting, not far from here, actually, on the very southeast side of town. I started with Texas City Refining. Oh, wow. Yeah. In 1977. Oh, I started as an assistant field engineer. We were building a vacuum pipe still, Mm -hmm. a new unit for the refinery. And I was with a subsidiary of uh, UOP, Universal Oil Products. Okay. A subsidiary called Procon. And that's what they did. They went around the world building uh, refinery units. And I was hired to essentially be a... Well, I'm Jack, so I had to be the Jack of all trades.
1: Well, that's funny. I'm the ginger of all trades. Ginger of all trades.
0: That's perfect. And so, you know, I did... I assisted the field engineer. I did the first aid, the health and safety, just essentially anything that needed to be done on that project. And that was my entry into the wow. into the oil business.
1: Okay, so what you do after that?
0: Well, a very compelling story actually, the the final day that we had uh, built the unit and we were going to be turning it over to the startup team to start up the unit. I was driving down from Pasadena and uh, I had the company truck. And I had to stop in Seabrook to pick up our field engineer and our chief electric engineer. And the entire way down was one of the most quiet rides we ever had because we could see a plume of smoke coming from Texas City. And we just knew at that time we heard the you know the radio broadcast. and for a year, the three of us had been driving in this truck, and it was a very talkative, but this was the most quiet ride I'd ever had in my life driving getting closer and closer to that plume of smoke. And we just knew in our hearts that it was something that we had done and didn't get it right on building that vacuum pipe still. It was not our unit. It was a unit next to ours. Wow. That they had lost a, they had lost a tube and a heater and caused a fire. The impact that it had on me, however was going into that unit after we were locked out for about 4 days for the investigation. Right. And when we went back to our unit, and with pride, we had a lot of pride in that unit. And I went into the control room and I saw the evidence of the people who had to flee from the adjacent unit that caught on fire and they were on fire, the people. Oh my goodness. And the the prints on the wall of the people who were on fire left an indelible impact on me early in my career about going into the oil industry industry, about about the importance of what we do, but yet the seriousness of what we do and the obligation that we have to people. So in a way, a year of building a vacuum pipe still, and at the end of that year, to have it really come home with regard to the responsibility that we have in the industry. Yeah. It was very memorable for me. I still remember it today. In fact, I don't even have to close my eyes and I can see that wall.
1: My goodness. can't even imagine. So after that, how did you pivot? How did that change? Yeah, and so
0: we were finishing that job, and I had two other opportunities. Now it is 1978, Mm -hmm. and I was going to go to Catlisburg, Kentucky, or I was going to go to Awaz, Iran, where there were two next projects and that's where our team was going and i had a choice would i go to one or go to the other and at the time my son was a year old and thinking do i really want to be away that far on those type of projects where essentially you were away and then you'd come back very infrequently to visit your family and as happenstance would have it or just providence texaco was hiring and they were hiring people to enter into a brand new field that the industry was beginning to 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 need, and that was in the occupational health, occupational safety side. Mm-hmm. And I applied for the job mm-hmm. and was interviewed and was hired because they were looking at investing in individuals who, in at, at that time, page the universities. They just weren't geared up. They didn't have the curriculum. They weren't producing professionals uh, from an education standpoint in this area. There were professionals in the area, but they were more from learning it by rote and, and learning it through the practice and of, of others. And so universities were beginning to turn this out, and there just weren't enough to go around. Right. So Texaco had the forethought to say, here's the basic requirements that we're looking for. We'll hire you with those basic requirements. And then we will equip you. We will train you. Mm -hmm. And so I said yes to that. It wasn't but a short order that the University of Texas started to build those things into their curriculum. And Texaco said, in addition to us training you, would you like to go to school? We'll pay for it. Of course. Right. And exactly. It was like, this is.
1: don't have to ask me twice. No,
0: ask me twice because I was still paying. For my four-year degree. Oh, goodness. So, and uh, so I was still paying for that. And I did pay it completely off, which I'm very, very proud of. It took us years to do it. <laughs> and then my master's was done by Texaco. They paid for it through the University of Texas. It allowed me to work and go to school. And then the school invited me to stay because they were looking to determine how could they increase enrollment and what would happen if they offered a doctoral program. For people who are already working so it was a do a doctoral program while you worked it was unheard of back in 1979 1980 to do that and so there were four students that were handpicked and i was one of the four awesome and texaco agreed so they paid for that as well that's so cool and the university of texas uh, allowed me to go there on a part-time basis and they were they were learning as well how would they do that with students typically doctoral or there as residents And that took me four years, and I did that. And so I ended up with a master's and a doctorate, paid for by Texaco, a great company. And the University of Texas as well took a chance on me. And, in fact, I'm very active with the University of Texas. Hook And I serve, (laughs) Hook horns, and (laughs) I I serve on, I chair the board of the Southwest Center that uh, University of Texas does with NIOSH. Oh, that's and awesome. I've done that since, oh my goodness, two thousand and eight now. Oh great. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's
1: yeah, ten years ago. Yeah. I can't believe it's almost two thousand nineteen. I'm still <laughs> getting used to that. All right. So you became part of a huge piece of the puzzle of education while you work. And right. and and so what what happened after you got all your
0: doctor your oh, doctorate, oh, fact, your I, masters? I, well, and, in fact I was working full time, so I had right. it was I know a lot of people do that today. And I have a lot of respect for those who work full-time, go back to school, and get their degrees. That's an incredible commitment. That speaks to incredible character. I know what it takes to, to do that because I've, I've been there. So I have a lot of time for people who invest that way. And for both the institution and companies who, who see that investment in people is great. I went on in my career. was with Texaco for 26 years. Nice. And I uh, had a great career with them. I had an opportunity to go be a dean at a university in Kazakhstan. I did that two years, and then grandchildren started coming along. And that's when Baker Hughes recruited me. And now Baker Hughes is a GE company. But that was in 2005, and I've been with them ever since. So Excellent. it's been essentially 41 years now Good in the industry, and it's hard to imagine how fast a career can really go by.
1: Well, something I've learned is
0: the older you get, the the time moves time, faster. Oh, yes.
1: so much faster. So let's discuss what you do now at Baker Hughes GE.
0: Yeah, I'm very honored to be the chief HSE officer for the company. You know, and you you look at it from a bookend standpoint. Had a company, Texaco, take a risk on me to invest in me to get into the health safety environment field when it was at its nascent phase and to have had privilege of being in the industry for 41 years and now be the chief HSE officer is very rewarding to me to look back over all the different experiences and the different opportunities and the ability to grow and not just serve BHGE, but serve society and serve the industry to make it a better place for us. Yeah. And it, it go In many ways, it goes back to that first experience at Texas City of seeing the impact of how things can get go wrong if we don't get it right. Right. Well, uh, and the obligation that we have.
1: Yeah. It's people. People's lives are at stake mm. every day. And it's something you uh, helped. BHG developed, and we've talked about this on other shows on the actual uh, oil and gas s and show, The Zero Day.
0: The Perfect HSE Day. Yeah.
1: Let's talk about that.
0: Yeah. Perfect HSE Day. You'd like to think that, oh, I created that. That was, that was my, my brainchild, and we did that. But that's really not the case. What we created was an environment to change our thinking that it would, be not, it would not be right to continue t- to think of ourselves as being responsible if we only incrementally got better in not hurting people, not having accidents, not having impact on the environment, which is a typical mindset across many businesses in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so when, when we embarked upon really challenging ourselves of what would it be like if we weren't having injuries – weren't having accidents, weren't impacting the environment. It was out of that 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 started to resonate in the minds of people mm-hmm. and in the thinking of people. And it was the population of Baker Hughes who came back and said, what would happen if we no. didn't have any? And wouldn't that be perfect? Wouldn't that be a perfect day? And that's how it was coined, perfect HSE day. And it was a big leap of faith because I can remember in having those conversations in the C-suite of the of the company and elsewhere, because our big concern was, what if we go a whole year and we have zero perfect HSE days, no accident, no impact on the environment, no injury? Wouldn't that have such a negative effect on the people? Yeah. But where our mindset had taken us, we essentially landed on, even if we don't have a single one, it's the right thing to do, and that's what we're going to do. And that and that's really where it took off.
1: Very good, very good. So we we spoke at OTC, and you had made an announcement. Am I right? I'm trying to remember what that was about. Yeah, that was
0: only a few weeks ago. I know. I
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I've slept since then, so it's gone. <laughs>
0: I don't even know where I was I, last I, week. I, I think one of the things you and Mark and I were talking about at OTC, and that was great to be there. Thank you for thank you for you going Mark, on. That was. That was really wild to be on that exhibit floor. It was That's good to feel the energy back at OTC. Yeah, it, it, it was very good to do that. Now, what we were talking about was an opportunity that I uh, was very fortunate to be a part of with the Society of uh, Society of Petroleum Engineers. We have just released a new technical report, and it's about getting to zero. Zero being zero accidents, zero right. fatalities, zero harm. And the mindset or pathway, the journey that it would take across the industry for us to be thinking that way and shifting our thinking away from incremental improvement, really latching into more deep into human factors, human performance, doing what other high reliable organizations do. And as an industry, focus that and say, as an industry, we expect to be at zero as opposed to being happy that if one day that we just are. And so, so then that, that report was just issued in March. I had the opportunity to roll that out in Abu Dhabi at an international HSC conference. that's done every two years. I think and I saw something about that on Twitter. Yeah, it, it was released on Twitter. SBE put that out there. And I, it, it was interesting. I, <laughs> I put it on my LinkedIn and, uh, like like a week after we did the launch in Abu Dhabi. And it was, you know, it was just a picture of the panel and I'm thankful that we did it and that sort of thing. And in 10 days, there were all, already over 10,000 views. Awesome. 10, I mean, it was just amazing that, you know, simply I just, I thought, oh, I'll just put this in LinkedIn, and I don't do a lot of LinkedIn. You know, I, I yeah. You know, it, it's there, and there's some things you think, oh, okay, this is this is significant. I'll put that in there. And it was. it was even a week later, after I did it. It wasn't even during the conference. And then, in ten days later, over 10, 000, over ten thousand views blew up. Yeah, That's awesome, fantastic. Which means we're probably onto something here. Yeah, I think about so. About changing thinking. Yeah,
1: progressive. Into that, yeah. So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience based off of your journey. And it, it, and that's what, 41 years, 41 yeah. and still going
0: and still going like the Energizer bunny. I was, <laughs> I was just now, I was just in Colombia week before last. And it was an, a very aggressive schedule going to different cities, meeting different people. Cause you can imagine being power packed. You go in, you arrive on a, on a Monday and leave on a Friday. There's a lot Ooh. you got to do in between mm-hmm. and, one of my vice presidents was with me on the on the trip, and he said he said he was telling he was sharing with me. He told somebody he said I can't keep up with I can't keep up with Jackie. He's like the Energizer Bunny. He called me, but you know when you have a passion and you really get into it, you love what you're doing. In a way, I'm answering your question. You know, so as you go back and when I think back, it's always be sure that you're looking at: Are you having fun doing? Do you enjoy what you're doing? And if not, step back and analyze, well, why not? What would it take within me to really have some passion and some drive about what I'm doing? And where my mind always goes is to, well, what's the purpose? Why am I doing this? I'm, I'm, I'm very focused on, on the why. We're doing a lot of stuff within BHGE about who we are, the social brain. And so we do our equilibria colors, and, Ooh, I, and yeah, explain exactly. that. It's, a, that? It, it's incredible, you know. So it's it's you you it's it's an app. You can you can download it, and you just do it, and you answer these series of word choices, and then it gives you this write up, and it's like this person no, has has known me all my life. They know exactly. Here's how I think. Here's how I act. Here's how I interact. And it, so anyway, I'm a, I'm, am a blue over yellow. And that, for people in the, in the, in the equilibrium, no, oh, green's a very different color. And, and when, if people know that, they'll kind of know what that means. Well, about, about me being blue, it's really about wanting to know the why and the purpose. That's very really important to me. And so I personally connect to the why, the purpose, the intent of things. Now, my yellow is because, I relate with people it's about relationships so it's the why and relationships ah okay. now i have i'm a green and a red as well not very far but those are not my two primary colors gotcha. but i do have a lot of red and green so this is not a plug for equilibria necessarily but maybe it is go check it out yeah quite, i'm, I'm quite, interested it's really liberating if you're really trying to drive a high-performing team give them access to things like that they really sort out well, why people act the way they do answering your question you know, it gets back to the things that really make a difference is be sure that that you know why within you that you're either happy and have passion about the job that you're being asked to do or not. It mm-hmm. may be something within you or it may be something within the job, but you have the ability to control your destiny. And I think so many times people wait for somebody else to make the choice for them or to give them the opportunity or to open the door. And some people even require you to push them through the door that you have had opened. And so to me, it's really appreciate where you you are Mm -hmm. and that you really do have more control than what you give yourself and really be honest with yourself. Is this rewarding to me and is it rewarding to the greater good? to the greater cause, to the company I'm with, and to society in general. Try to find how in your job you can do that. It doesn't mean you have to change your job, but it means what do I need to tap into to make it rewarding equally to me, equally to the company, and equally to society in general.
1: Very good advice, very good advice. What book influenced you the most?
0: It's interesting, and I read this book every day. I start my day with this, it's the Bible. A lot of people don't know that, and I, you know, it's not one of the things that you overtly share. I get up early. A lot of it, if people know Houston traffic, is to get ahead of the traffic. Yeah. But another reason is to start my day quiet and in reading. And I just don't read it to read it. I actually have a notebook, and I take notes. I'm not saying that from a standpoint to, to try to convert anybody. Right. It's personal to me for that reason, but what I have found unlike any other book that is written on self-help what i have found the applications i use more in my daily interaction with people and situations that are really relevant and real today Mm -hmm. from that book and from the notes that i have taken in fact i was just using an example the other day with one of my with one of my directors and i was able to immediately be able to relate to him from something that was a truth to me that i had learned from my daily reading and it was amazing how the light bulb immediately went off in his mind and he got it and he said that's it he said i, I can't even argue with you on that 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 that's perfect that's what i needed and so you know I, people ask me that question it's you know, always looking well what self-help book and, you know the, the the you know the New York Times bestsellers, and there are a lot that are out there, and they're really and they're really really good. But the one that I found over the years that you always go back to it's so the Bible. It. It's the Bible.
1: So not only has it influenced you, it it still continues I to influence it. you. Yeah, daily. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. What would you say is your most used business tool? Listening,
0: listening, and I'm becoming more and more acutely aware of. The necessity of listening. What we are finding as, as we continue to progress in BHGE, getting to having more perfect days versus non, it causes you to start looking inwardly at yourself as an organization, at your processes, at your business systems, and even the people with, with, within the organization that make it up. And what we are discovering, and when you, when you hear this, you think, duh. <laughs> right but it sometimes it takes it takes some experience to wake up to the duh to where you really get it leaders and managers don't listen they talk they tell they bark orders they give the illusion that they're listening but they're really not hearing what we are finding it's almost magic that when a leader Moves into the role of being more of a listener, more of a coach, more of a mentor, as opposed to a taskmaster or a supervisor. Just when you hear the difference between those words, you sit back as an individual and say, who would I rather work for? Somebody that listens to me or somebody who only tells me what to do. Now, What I just said is not profound. No. And it's like, duh. Very simple. And so what I have learned is to listen more and talk less. Listening. And it takes practice. For some some people, it's easy to do. They're in the minority, particularly people in supervision, management, and leadership. They didn't get... You know, in their minds, they didn't get to where they did because they were listening. But at some point, they really did listen, and they heard, and they applied it. If we would listen more, what we're finding is that the employees actually know more about the business, what makes it run efficiently, what makes it run effectively, what makes it run safely. And if we would empower them, and the way you empower them is to listen to them and then act upon what they have told you it it is, it is magic what a corporation what a work group can do when people are really listening to each other so if i had to recommend something listening listen more
1: well i think a lot of people are listening right now so
0: good <laughs> or hopefully we'll be good. yeah yeah exactly
1: <laughs> yeah that's that's perfect i i have to agree with you and i'm in that few yeah my little m- maori i hear I, d- I don't just listen i hear
0: mm-hmm it's a big difference. Yeah, just don't, it's not the illusion that I'm listening to you. Right, right. My wife tells me all the time, "You're not listening to me." <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I hear you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, oh, I yeah. hear you. What'd you say? <laughs>
1: huh? <laughs> <laughs> Who would you say is your most respected
0: competitor? You know, to me, the most respected competitor. I'm, I'm probably instead of giving a name, I think what I will do is give the attributes. Perfect. Of what I think to me is a most respected competitor would be those who are not satisfied with status quo. Those who are always looking for breakthrough type improvement, not incremental improvement, but breakthrough people who are pushing the boundaries, particularly on thought, making you think differently as well as then contributing back. So I think some competitors, people get in the competitive space and it's all about them for the breakthrough that they're going to gain for themselves, and I understand as a business person, I respect that, but one that I would really admire is they not only have the breakthrough for themselves mm-hmm. but they collaborate and they share that and help others share in that share in that breakthrough
1: regardless of whether or not they're a competitor right.
0: yeah, yeah and, I, and I can appreciate that there are some things where you want to maintain the competitive advantage. I understand that right. You know, being in the health, safety, and environment field, to me, for our industry, health, safety, and environment, the only competition we should be in with health, safety, and environment is collaborative competition. Who can collaborate the best? Who can be seen as the best collaborator? To get this industry where we need to be on HSE, the safety and the health and the protection of the environment. So if we're going to compete, let's compete at collaboration of something that is an equal common denominator for us.
1: Right. And that's something where you had mentioned at OTC that it's weird seeing everyone really come in together, especially over the technical paper and just everybody's. In everybody's you know, in
0: like, like over ten thousand views in ten days. Yeah, the number of people we went as we that paper just we just didn't write the paper, and I was privileged to be a part, part of not only of the, author, of the author team, but of the journey of going out and talking to over eight hundred and fifty people, which gave us the feedback that helped us produce. The That's paper. a lot of people, and and in that space, it shifted from twenty ten to where we are today. Of the number of people now who really believe the time is right where the industry moves to expect that it can be zero, not hurting anyone, than where it was just uh, back in 2010, eight eight, eight years ago. But we're collaborating more in this space. And I I think as we talked a little bit at OTC, I think the downturn, while it it has been painful for a lot of people, was actually a blessing in disguise. It caused us to become more real with ourselves, to appreciate that we can't really go it alone. We really, it's a broader industry and we need to work together. I'm seeing more collaboration in, in the industry uh, in the last two years than I had my entire 41. But it took a significant downturn. And so, okay, that was the reason, fine. The key is, is for the industry, regardless of upturn, downturn, or it just being stale, that we continue that collaboration because I think working together actually makes us a more powerful industry than working apart.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the, the culture within the industry and it's existed this way as, as long as I've been in it. So for almost, you know, almost 10 years or about 10 years now, that it's very family oriented. You become family with these people that you work with because you all have this common love for the industry. Yes. But after this, this downturn, how more tight knit we became, so that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And, and it kind of sucks that it took that, but, but you, you know, go, blessing in disguise, just like you said.
0: But going through fire brings out, brings out the, the best.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What's the most important lesson you've learned?
0: Most important lesson that I've learned? Where my mind goes, Paige, when you ask me that, is that don't, don't think of any situation as eternal. And what I mean by that is time and how you manage that time, you have the ability to change any any situation. You, you, you come up against roadblocks in your career. You come up against disappointments in your career. You come up against things that are really want, working well and then they end. You have all these, these, these barriers or impediments or these abrupt changes, and we tend to think... And I think society today, we're getting more temporal. And what I mean by that, more instantaneous. We have to have the satisfaction now. Mm -hmm. And what I found over my lifespan and career is things don't last forever. They're not eternal. They are temporal. And to be able to step back and see that at this moment this is the situation this situation will not be there forever. And you actually have the ability to help change the situation, either to continue it if you like it or discontinue it if you don't. And so there've been many times when, you, when I look back in my career and think, well, that was a very, very difficult and tough assignment. I'd never really wanna do that again, but it didn't last forever. And the other thing that I've learned is through those times, they actually are the things that give you the wisdom and the strength that then you will then use later. So see every situation from the standpoint of what am I learning that I'm then going to take and it's going to benefit me later. And it always won't be this way. So don't get caught up in, Oh, everything is wonderful. So it's always going to be wonderful because it won't be. And don't get depressed because nothing's working. It won't, and so that doesn't last either. So it's taking a longer view versus a shorter view. And I think if there's anything that we can do to particularly help the next generation coming up is if there's any way that we can impart that bit of, of, of wisdom and experience. And I think you have, I don't, I don't think it's just through telling. I think it's through leading and facilitating and, connecting the dots for people to help them see that this too will pass mm-hmm. of course that's a quote from the bible right but anyway it just, it just slips in you don't even realize it yeah I know. but so you know, if i look back and said you know the learning for me is that nothing is eternal it's temporal you can control it and then you can grow from it and then use it later
1: very good very good what's your favorite podcast
0: Oh, here we go. You know, it's interesting. I hate to admit it. I'm not a podcast person.
1: That's okay. You're the not only, either. The only
0: reason I'm into podcast is you and Mark do such a great job. <laughs> and uh, I have fun doing it. I, Eventually, uh, you'll meet uh, Patrick. And, but... and, pa- and Patrick, you put him in, in a <laughs> queue. But it, it was interesting to me, some of our newer employees, I'm really finding that the self-help, the self-interest, the self-embellishment for themselves in their careers – of how they're turning to podcast, so I actually got hooked onto this through one of our bright young engineers who approached me a couple years ago and introduced me to you and Mark.
1: Oh wow, who yeah. was that?
0: Yeah, his name is Alex Bruin.
1: Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah, Alex. I think I I, yeah, I met him at OTC. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I think S B A T C E as well. Exactly. <laughs> he's incredible.
0: You know, and so Alex said, "Jack, you got to get a you got to get a part of this." So he's the one that turned me on. So you can always learn. And so now I'm, I, I'm, I'm new at this. I'm starting to get into podcasts. But it's not, to be honest, it's not one that I really listen to. But it's either yours or Mark's show. But those are the two that I'm involved in.
1: Oh, that's awesome. It's because you're on them, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Did I do okay? Did I do okay? <laughs> well, that's very fair. Oh, so because I like our listeners to be dressed well and safe, be sure to go to www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast to win a Bulwark FR shirt. And base layer. Two, you gotta, you gotta have both. No purchase necessary. Uh, see official rules for details. And then we have events on deck. And I think the only thing we have coming up is June twenty eighth, two thousand eighteen. We have the IDT Expo two thousand eight annual conference, and this is the very first one. So that's going nice. to be super. It's going to be great. Uh, I know all of the OGGM people will be there. Um, and it's at the uh, Norris Conference Center here in Houston, That's right Texas. Here, right around the corner. Exactly. Yeah, I know. It'll be real easy if I yeah. need to interview somebody. Thanks so much, I Jack. Have a, I have a plug since you're doing Oh, do you have a plug? Yeah, come on.
0: We have just released our Health, Safety, Environment, Social Responsibility Report. It's the first report for us now as Baker Hughes, a GE company. Yeah. If you go to www.bhge.com, mm-hmm. Dot or at bhge.com mm-hmm. helps to get that right. I'll j- uh, Don't
1: worry about it. I'll just put a link in the notes.
0: Download then, it. Yeah. Perfect. Check it out. And go check it out. It's kind of neat. It's, uh, it has videos in it. It's interactive. It's all digital. Neat stuff.
1: Good deal. Good deal. So speaking of, if people want to reach out to you or get to know more about BHGE, where should they go? Just
0: go to my LinkedIn. You'll find me there. It's typically the best way or contact me at jack.hinton at bhge.com. Perfect.
1: All right, so that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door.
0: Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil & Gas Industry Leaders podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.